This afternoon we turn to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Romans 5, starting at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So far the reading of God's holy word. We have come to Lord's Day 3 of our Heidelberg Catechism this afternoon. Lord's Day 3. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt 
that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. So far, our confession. After the sermon, we'll sing Psalm 103, stanza 4. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, last Sunday we made a start of the section dealing with our sin and misery. That section runs for three Lord's Days, Lord's Days 2 through 4. And there's a certain progression of thought in these Lord's Days as our confession unfolds for us our sin and misery. Lord's Day 2 was about the knowledge of our sin and misery. We saw last time that we ourselves are not able to diagnose our own human situation. We need God's revelation for that. And we know of our sin and misery because God has revealed it to us. He has revealed it to us by way of his law. And now on Lord's Day 3, the catechism moves on in the discussion of our sin and misery and deals with the origin and the character of our sin and misery. Why is it that we are the way we are? Why is it that we have to confess our sin and misery? And how far does that go? How sinful are we? What is the depth of our sin and misery? And we make that confession this afternoon, brothers and sisters, as Christians. As Christians, we confess the origin and character of our sin and misery. That's our theme for this afternoon. As Christians, we confess the origin and character of our sin and misery. As we focus on that, we'll know three things. First of all, creation. Secondly, fall. Thirdly, redemption. First creation, then fall, then redemption. The Catechism begins in Lord's Day 3 by asking, Did God then make us so wicked and perverse? Now, that question might make us kind of shrug our shoulders because we all know the Catechism so well. We know these questions and answers. But our confession really gets into our shoes. By asking that question, our confession poses a question that arises in the hearts of fallen man. And isn't that true, brothers and sisters, that if you listen to the news and you hear people talking about the horrible events that are happening in this world, very often you will hear people blaming God. What's wrong with God? 
That's the accusation that you hear. It's God's fault. If God is God, why doesn't he stop the horrible things that are happening in this world? That's the question that you hear around us. By some Christians sometimes who are struggling. And certainly that's the question that you hear from people who are antagonistic toward Christianity. Because, brothers and sisters, that question arises within the hearts of fallen man. We like to shift the blame away from ourselves. Adam did that right in the beginning. When God came after him and inquired what had happened, then Adam pointed to God and said, The woman you gave me. She made me eat of the fruit. The woman you gave me. In other words, Adam was saying, God, you set me up for this. You are ultimately to blame. It's your fault. That's why the catechism begins as a good instructor In Lord's Day 3, by asking that question, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? Is God at fault? And the answer that the catechism gives is no. God created man good. And that's what the Genesis account tells us. Genesis 1 verse 31, on the sixth day, the day that God had created man, God surveyed his work of creation and God concluded that it was very good. Not just good, but very good. Man too. Man was created good. Very good. And the catechism goes on to say, God created man good, and in his image, in his image, God said, let us make man in our image. And then Genesis tells us, God made man in his image, in his likeness. Did he make him? Male and female, he created them in his image. The Heidelberg Catechism explains what that means in Lord's Day 3. When the Catechism goes on to say, that is, in true righteousness and holiness... That's how God created us. The catechism gets that description of what it is to be in the image of God from what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24, those verses which I also quoted this morning. And this morning I said that those few verses are indeed central to Lord's Day 3. In Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, we read about Paul 
telling us to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's where Lord's Day 3 gets its description of what it is to be created in the image of God. It is to be righteous and holy. It may be of interest for you to know that in Reformed theology, a distinction is sometimes made between what is called being in the image of God in a restricted sense and being in the image of God in a broader sense. The idea then is that what the Catechism says in Lord's Day 3 about us being created in true righteousness and holiness is what it means to be in the image of God in the restricted sense. That goes to the very core of it. That is the very depth of it. But to be in the image of God in a broader sense is then said to be such that we are created as spiritual beings who know God. Rational beings who can think. Moral beings who know what is good. And people who have been set over creation. That is the God-given dignity which sets man above everything else in this world. He's in the image of God in that broader sense. Now you also need to know that among Reformed theologians, conservative Reformed theologians, there is disagreement as to the appropriateness of this distinction. But the Catechism in Lord's Day 3 speaks about the very heart and core of it when it speaks about us being created in true righteousness and holiness. And then our confession goes on to say that God created us so that we might rightly know God, our Creator, heartily love Him, and live with Him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify Him. In other words, we have a threefold office. We were created with a threefold office. We are very special because, because we are prophets. We were created to be prophets who rightly know God. You first need to know God. You first need to rightly know God in order to confess God as a prophet. We were created as priests who would live consecrated lives in God's service, lives dedicated to God. Heartily loving him. We were created to be kings. That we might live with him. In eternal blessedness. That we might live with him. As his vice regents. As the people whom he set over this world. 
as his stewards. Indeed, God created us as his stewards. It's striking, brothers and sisters, that when Genesis 1 speaks about us being created in the image of God, Genesis 1 immediately goes on to give us that cultural mandate. You read in Genesis 1 that God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth. Let them rule as stewards. Man was created to do that in righteousness and holiness. And all of this was to be to the praise and glory of God, as the Catechism concludes in that first question and answer of Lord's Day 3. To praise and glorify Him. We were created ultimately for the praise and glory of God. That's our confession's answer to that question, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? And the answer is no. On the contrary. And then follows that beautiful description of how God created us in the beginning. Well, from where then? And that's what the Catechism then begins to answer in question and answer 17. 7. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are conceived and born in sin. That's our fall into sin. And I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, how between the lines we can learn from Lord's Day 3 that our confessional position is that Adam and Eve were for real. Our confessional position is that the fall into sin was for real. Because the Catechism speaks about the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. In other words, they were for real, our first parents. And furthermore, the Catechism indirectly points to the historicity of the fall and the creation account by going on to say, for there our nature became so corrupt. There, in paradise, at that specific point in time, then and there, our nature became so corrupt. That's important for us to underline, brothers and sisters, because in mainline Christianity, the Genesis account, as we read of it, in the first few chapters, is often dismissed as a mythical account. Adam and Eve didn't really exist. They were just conjured up as people who could help us understand why we are the way we are. The fall into sin 
really didn't happen. There was no serpent. There was no fruit that they took from the tree. It's all a myth. And what you have to take out of it, says mainline Christianity, is the kernel of truth that something happened. Namely, God brought us into existence somehow. And something happened. And we are the way we are. But the Catechism says, between the lines, no. Adam and Eve are our first parents. They existed. The fall took place. It happened there and then. And isn't that also how Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 5? We read it this afternoon. Paul speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks about the crucified and risen Christ. He speaks about the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he juxtaposes Jesus Christ with Adam. And he says, As sin came into the world through one man, Adam, so righteousness came into the world through one man, Jesus Christ. And as real as Jesus Christ was for the Apostle Paul, so real for the Apostle Paul was Adam. And that's why Lord's Day 3 says, Adam and Eve, they were our first parents. And it really happened there in paradise. There our nature became so corrupt, says the Catechism, that we are all conceived and born in sin. That's the confession of our sinfulness. And I think here of what David says in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Question and answer 7 is in many ways a paraphrase of what David confesses in Psalm 51. David goes to the very heart of the matter when he explains his sin of adultery and murder in light of his innate depravity. I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. When Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 about the first Adam and the second Adam, Paul points to our sinfulness when he writes in Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 19, 
For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And what does that mean? How far does that go? Well, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5, that we are dead in transgressions. We are dead in transgressions. And that is our total depravity. It's a doctrine that the Catechism puts forward in Lord's Day 3 when it uses that word depraved. From where then did man's depraved nature come? And then that is expanded upon in question 8, where the question reads, But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? That is what it is to be depraved, brothers and sisters, to be so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil. And that's where we get the doctrine of our total depravity from. That word depraved is in question 7. And that word total is in question 8. And that's why in our Canons of Dort, we have a whole chapter on the doctrine of our total depravity. An expansion of what we confess here in Lord's Day 3. We are totally depraved. That means sin pervades our whole being. Our will, our mind, our emotions are all corrupt. Every aspect of ourselves is touched by the reality of sin. We are conceived and born in sin. We are dead in transgressions. That's why Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 53... All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And that's why Paul writes in Romans 3, quoting from the Old Testament, No one seeks after you. No, not one. Because by nature our heart is turned away from God. And so this doctrine of our total depravity speaks to us about our deep fall, the righteousness and holiness in which God created us is gone. That threefold office of prophet, priest, and king in which we rightly knew God, heartily loved God, and lived with God is gone. And that stewardship over all creation by which we ruled creation in submission to God, is gone. But this is where that distinction between regarding the image of God in a restricted sense and in a broader sense comes up again, because that distinction is then applied here, and that's where it becomes important to what extent did we lose the image of God at the fall? And I just mentioned that this afternoon because there's no agreement about this among conservative Reformed theologians. It is sometimes said that 
fallen man lost the image of God in that restricted sense because the righteousness and the holiness are gone. That's obvious. But fallen man did not lose the image of God in the broader sense because fallen man is still a spiritual being who knows that there is a God, but he tries to suppress it. Fallen man is still a rational being who is able to think. Fallen man is still a moral being who knows right from wrong. Fallen man is still over all of creation, using his many abilities to rule this earth. Fallen man still has dignity that sets him above everything else in this world. In support of this, Reformed theologians point to what we read in Genesis 9, verse 6, where God speaks about what should happen when someone takes someone else's life. And the motivation is important for us this afternoon in connection with Lord's Day 3. In Genesis 9, verse 6, we read this, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And furthermore, we read in James chapter 3, that James writes about how we use our tongues in different ways, sometimes to, to bless people and sometimes to curse people. And this ought not to be because James writes in James 3 verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, that is our tongue, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And that is then in support of this view of man retaining the image of God in a broader sense. Now, as I said, there is no agreement among this, among Reformed theologians about this. I put it out there for your interest. But no matter how you look at it, brothers and sisters, man fell deeply. Man became totally depraved. That's the origin and character of our sin and misery. But it doesn't stop there. Because our theme is, as Christians, we confess the origin and character of our sin and misery. And that angle is present in Lord's Day 3, question and answer 8. As Christians, we make this confession. Because... The question is, are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? The answer is, yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Unless we are regenerated. Unless God reaches into our lives as the Redeemer who works in us because of the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. We encounter here again what we mentioned last week when we indicated that Lord's Day 2 
creates a distinction in question and answer five. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. That implies that there is an other reality by grace. And that was evident between the lines in Lord's Day 2. Now it becomes very explicit in Lord's Day 3 when the answer is, yes, we are that awful unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Unless God's grace reaches into our lives. By God's grace and through the working of the Holy Spirit, we can do good. You can do good. Wasn't that also the point of Paul in Philippians 4, 8 and 9? He says, think about these things. The things that are true, honorable, just, pure, commendable, praiseworthy. Think about these things because you can in Jesus Christ. And what you have seen and received and learned and heard from me, says Paul in Philippians 4. Put it into practice. Do it because you can in Jesus Christ. And that's what Lord's Day 3 is saying here. We can be different people in Jesus Christ. We confess the gospel of redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ, which leads to our forgiveness. And we confess the gospel of our redemption as that relates to the spirit of Jesus Christ, by which we have our sanctification that we walk in newness of life. That does not cancel out our innate depravity. We are still totally depraved by nature. That's why in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, we read that even our best works in this life, the good things that we do, because God is at work in us, are all imperfect and defiled by sin. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the end, like the wind, take us away. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. They are all imperfect. But they are righteous. In the eyes of God, there is good in the lives of his people. Imperfect, but still good because they are works done out of true faith in accordance with God's law and to his glory. And they are cleansed by the blood of Christ. And that's why, brothers and sisters, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we do not come to the Supper to declare thereby that we are righteous in ourselves. On the contrary, we acknowledge that we are dead in sins. But we desire to walk in newness of life. 
We strive to think and act like Christians, and no sin or weakness which still remains in us against our will can hinder us from being received by God and grace and from being counted worthy partakers of the supper of our Lord. Because as Christians, we are being transformed, we are being recreated after the image of God. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, in righteousness and holiness. And so, brothers and sisters, that image of God takes shape in our lives more and more through the working of the Holy Spirit. And we more and more function as prophets who know God, as priests who love God and as kings who reign with God. And we rule over all creation as God's stewards in submission to him. We are being recreated after the image of God because of the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. And that fills us with thankfulness. That fills us with praise. And we see that praise of which Lord's Day 3 speaks, taking shape in our lives. We were created for that. We were created to praise and glorify Him. We have been redeemed, and we are being renewed to the praise and glory of God. Amen.